Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. When I was a kid, I loved the Batman TV show. That's correct. This Ben Jarofsky Show Benny J Bonus Interview is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It's Tuesday, August 4th, 2020, and the headline in my beloved Bright One Home delivered, as always, uh, is in-person protests. Chicago public school teachers, uh, CTU rallies outside of City Hall against reopening schools and pandemic amps up attacks on Lightfoot CPS. So that's what the news is. Of course, it's a podcast. Who knows when you're listening to this? But just so you know, it is being uh, recorded on the 4th of August. All right, as I always do with my distinguished guests on a bonus, I ask my distinguished guests to introduce themselves. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hey, Ben, thanks for having me. Hey, Dennis. This is uh, Joshua Smizer de Leon. I'm the host of the Paseo podcast, uh, born and raised in Chicago. I'm a Boricua who loves our historic Paseo Boricua here in the city. Got my hands in a few things. Um, including a gig as the director of communications for First Ward Alderman, Alderman Daniel Laspada. Now, of course, the views that I share and opinions that I share on the Ben Jarofsky show are mine and mine alone. Um, but I'm a lover of, thank you, Dennis, <laughs> but I'm a lover of sports, a lover of politics, and a lover of all things Chicago. So really happy to be here today with you. Excellent. Spell the name of your uh, podcast so folks, when they're done listening to you here, can uh, run, 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 don't walk to listen to it. Beautiful, yeah. So we, we're at my, the name of my podcast is the Paseo Podcast. Paseo is spelled P-A-S-E-O. Uh, you can find all of our episodes on paseomedia.org, and we're on all streaming uh, apps where podcasts are streamed, so you can find us there. Uh, we took the summer off given the uprisings and the uh, and the pandemic, so we're actually coming back with a full range of episodes for our one-year anniversary later this August. Okay, very good. Well, Joshua is a regular on my show, and I love having him here, and I just want to say this. I'm going to give it my full throttle, all right? <laughs> I do this for all governmental employees who are gracious enough to come on my show. Leave them alone, Donald Trump. Leave him alone, Mayor Lightfoot. Leave him alone, City Council. Danny LaSpada, leave him alone. If he says something you disagree with, that's his right. As an American, as an American citizen, he has the right of free expression. So leave him alone, okay? All right, I do that for my uh, EPA friends when they come on, too. I protect. I try to protect my guests because they say a big deal in this country about Josh about free expression. But if you say the wrong thing, ugh, someone will try to fire you. All right, uh, I gave Joshua an assignment. 
uh, before we did this show, I go, I want to know everything you know about the Goya boycott, which, whether you support it, what, what, what do you think the issues are, what does it say about uh, the state of affairs, Latinx America, uh, the politics in our country right now, how Trump's trying to use it for his what he thinks is his benefit. So, man, I made him read things, watch things. The guy's exhausted, all right? Uh and uh, we're also probably getting into some uh, local issues as well, and maybe some sports stuff. Um, this uh, issue of kneeling is really on my mind right now, kneeling for the uh, national anthem. Uh, and I may get him, make him make a prediction about the VB. He's going to try to sneak out, folks, without making a prediction. <laughs> I'm not going to let it happen. Uh, all right, let's start at the top, uh, Joshua. The uh, Goya boycott, I've talked about it a couple times on my show. Why don't you just give people a little background of what's going on here? Sure thing, yeah. For anybody that uh, is is, a, un, is unaware, uh, in July's past month, the Goya CEO Robert Unawe was at the White House with other Hispanic business leaders. And keep in mind, I I say Hispanic business leaders because that's how they want to be addressed. And Hispanic as a term is all types of problematic. So uh, that tells you a lot about who is in that room. Uh, but the, fo- the focus was uh, to be part of this this broader White House Hispanic Prosperity Initiative. And what the White House says the purpose of this is, is for better economic opportunities in the U.S. for Latinx people here in the States. At this at this uh, presser they did, which, which essentially felt like a campaign rally on the Rose Garden, uh, Robert Unanwe, the Goya CEO, essentially praised Trump, said his grandfather was a builder who founded Goya, Trump is a builder, said uh, that we're so blessed to have Donald Trump as our leader. Keep in mind, this is in the backdrop of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, We're seeing the worst unemployment in our history. Uh, We are all types of um, messed up right now as a country. Uh, And that's not even including our uprisings as our BIPOC people have so, especially our young people, have so bravely led on on issues of inclusivity and equity, not only here in Chicago, but around the world, this as a backdrop, even, oh, and I'll also add to this backdrop how COVID-19 has disproportionately affected black and brown communities. And a lot of this has to do with the administration's handling of the virus, not to mention the Trump administration putting kids in cages, demonizing uh, Latinx people, so this is our backdrop, and the Goya CEO says nothing but positive things about Donald Trump. So what does this lead to? This leads to Twitter exploding. All the Twitter heads just got really pissed off, started a Goya boycott, which garnered a lot of traction, um, also encouraged a, current, uh, a uh, boycott. Uh, I would say it was probably evenly split left and right, so left leaning people online, boycotting Goya, right people, right leaning people, let's do a boycott. Even so far as, and this is just how ingrained it is on the right, you even had Ivanka Trump and Donald Trump taking pictures with Goya products. Um, so basically this was seen as a slap to the face to the entire Latinx community, especially since the Latinx community makes up a majority of the consumer base for Goyas, uh, of Goyas. Um, so this larger question around, okay, well, if we're supporting our, if we're supporting Goya by buying these products, 
there's no lo- there is no uh, loyalty or advocacy on that, that this corporation is putting forth for its larger largest consumer base. Um, and we can talk in we can talk more about you know is this is this Goya kind of leaning into whiteness? Um, is it Goya just wanting to gain favor with the president? So they'll say whatever they have to say, and there's not really a lot of credibility or trust there. Uh, there's a lot of unanswered questions. Uh, ultimately, this has left a bad taste in a lot of Latinx people's mouths. And let me just point something out here. Uh, the president of Goya, in defense of himself, said that he had participated with Michelle Obama uh, at some kind of White House function where they were talking about healthy foods. And I, I had a smile when I when I read that because his his explanation. Uh, Joshua, because the important distinction is that he did not take that opportunity in 2013 or whatever it was that he appeared with Michelle Obama to advocate on behalf of Barack Obama's presidency. He didn't say, you know what, I just have to say, we are so lucky to have Barack Hussein Obama as our president of the United States. What a great president. Can I hug you? You're the greatest president. He didn't do that. But he did that for Donald John Trump. I'm just pointing that out there. So there's a difference between showing up at a White House initiative, Joshua, where you're both advocating for healthier eating habits and slobbering all over the president of the United States with a puppy-like affection. Do you... Do you agree with me in that distinction, Joshua? Oh, 100 percent. 100 percent. It's totally it's totally hiding behind the freedom of speech argument. Yeah. And uh, no, yeah, just hiding behind like he's somehow neutral. You're not neutral when you hug one guy and just sort of stand there with the other guy. I'm just saying. All right. Now, absolutely. Well, and then if I could just add something really quickly to that, we in the case of the Goya CEO, Oh my gosh, it's it's free speech. We have to let him speak. Well, how dare how dare anybody in the public criticize this man for speaking his mind? And yet, when we have protesters in the street exercising their freedom of speech, exercising their rights to protest to bring to the surface issues that black and brown and indigenous populations have been experiencing not only at the hands of the police, but the societal systems we have in place that basically make it so this idea of the american dream we all aspire to it but the system's not built for us so when we try to bring this to the attention of those in power somehow we are described or are the people in the street the people in the streets doing this work are described as rioters and looters and criminals um, so god forbid they speak up for people that have that have historically not been given a voice or a platform to bring and bubble up to the surface these really systemic issues uh, it's just a weird it's just a weird argument to hide behind the freedom of speech on this especially in the trump administration's demonizing of the latinx population and don't even get me started on how the trump administration and trump himself have looked at puerto rico and how they've treated puerto rico i mean it's you can, you can almost go country by country in Latin America, and the Trump administration has done something awful or said something awful about them. All right. Uh, we're going to get all of that because we're going to get uh, when we get into Trump's reaction. I just want to clarify th- something uh, up front. I think I can guess your position on this, but, you know, in journalism, you never guess. You always ask. So, uh, by the way, I got a, shout, a thousand shout outs 
Uh-oh, uh, Joshua, ignorance time. I must confess, I had never heard boycott before. I never heard that. I'm like, did he just mispronounce boycott? I'm like, oh, no, wait a minute. That's like a word that was invented on Twitter that I missed. So are you boycotting Goya or boycotting Goya? I'll say this. This is a hard revelation for me because I knew Goya already had some prob- problematic actions in its history. And growing up, my parents were very good to have a mix of brands, um, but Goya was typically on the shelf. So I, after hearing these words, after seeing this clear disregard for how the entire Latinx community has been treated under the, the Trump administration, I went full on boycott. So my wife and I are not planning on buying any Goya products. We're not going to get the rice. We're not going to get the adobo. In fact, we were looking up adobo recipes not too long ago to try and make our own, looking at other brands that we could support. Um, So definitely full on boycott. There's no need to support them because obviously they present themselves as a like, they, I mean, I would say they're in terms of branding, they present themselves as like a Hispanic, Latino, Puerto Rican company um, when their actions show they're anything but. All right, well, let's get that. Before we uh, get into Trump's commercial, one other thing I wrote down, uh, you, uh, the name, the word Hispanic is problematic. Uh, uh, dive into that a little bit. What do you mean by that? Sure. Yeah. I, and I don't want to get too in the weeds here, uh, only because I feel like every, every few years, the way we, the way we speak about cer- certain communities, uh, changes over time, but Hispanic as a term, the best way I could put it, um, it's, it's the selling of the American dream. So when you look at when, Latinos, Latinas, Latinx people were moving, were migrating to this country. You look at something like the census, ethnicity wasn't exactly something that was asked, are you Hispanic? The term Hispanic was the first time we were ever acknowledged as a people here in the United States. So there's a certain affinity for that word. Now, when you look at what falls, who falls under the umbrella of the term Hispanic, you include um, Spain. In that, in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, if you say Latin America, Latinx, um, that encompasses Latin America. So that's South America, that's the Caribbean. We're talking about uh, over 20 different uh, countries and territories that make up Latin America, but Spain is not a part of that. Okay. So uh, it's, like, it's basically this Americanized term to describe, to describe an entire grouping of people that really whitewashes what makes them so um, ethnically unique. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely a very simplified version. Yeah. Explanation of that. Uh, and, and, and you're absolutely correct with that first point you made, which things change over time, because I remember explanations back in the day, Joshua, before you were born, where people are telling me this is why you should use the word Hispanic and uh, et cetera and so forth. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Trump responded, as you pointed out, uh, to uh, the Goya boycott by um, doing Goya promotions, which is interesting, uh, from the White House. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how he thought this was appropriate, but he's Donald John Trump. He does what he wants. And his daughter weighed in with her promotion. And then they came in with a commercial in Spanish, uh, which I assigned you to watch and you dutifully mm-hmm. watch. You'd already seen it, uh, where 
they're making some interesting political assumptions about uh, the Latinx community, and that is that it is a conservative community. And uh, I have a whole bunch of theories about this, but I'd love to hear your thoughts in general about the assumptions that the Trump campaign is making based on the commercial. Why don't you describe the commercial first and then get into uh, sort of an analysis of it? Sure, yeah. So so there was two different Spanish language ads that went out. The one you specifically sent me, Ben, was very similar to the second one that I had seen. Um, essentially, it's equating progressivism with socialism. but And, and they may explicitly say socialism, but the, 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 the tie there is if, it's, if they're progressive, they're socialist. If they're socialist, they're communist. If they're communist, they're a dictator. Um, and that, that blew my mind because seeing, seeing Joe Biden on the screen with the word socialist next to his name was like, who is buying this? Who is, who, who is taking this ad as truth and believing this stuff? Um, so it's basically equating the two as being the same, which couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, the, and the, so, that, so that's kind of the basis of the commercial. So they'll use different revolutionary figures, uh, some that have passed, some that are some politicians that are, are currently in office. So you got like Maduro, who's, quote unquote, the president of Venezuela. You have um, who's alive. You got the person that uh, yeah, Che Rivera. Uh, from the Cuban Revolution, you had old footage of Fidel Castro in there. Um, so they tried to basically play the fear card, um, know, knowing and understanding uh, that there are going to be certain people within the Latinx community that see these figures and want to stay as far away from them as possible. So Fidel Castro, Che Rivera, um, you might have a situation where Cuban population might see that and think, okay, let's, we're equating the Democrats with communism or with what happened to my abuelo and abuela on the, uh, in Cuba. Um, so it's basically feeding into the worst fears of people without giving really any substance into, to the argument. Um, and, and I'll say this too, just to wrap that up, it's interesting that these ads point to uh, these ads point to progressivism being socialism and how socialism is such a bad thing. And they try to use these different figures in these different countries as reasons why socialism is a bad thing and totally disregard the United States' hand in foreign policy in those countries. In all those, con- all those figures that they use, Venezuela, Cuba, I mean, shoot, even, even, you could even use Puerto Rico as an example. Like our foreign policy here in the United States has shaken to the core a lot of Latin American countries, and we bear a lot of the of the blame on this, the the situations that exist in the in countries in South America, in countries in the Caribbean. That that's not those aren't just isolated incidents, but that, but that's completely disregarded in these ads. All right, I'm going to get a little more specific and then you respond. Uh, I think I may have said this to you before we went on the air. I'll repeat it. When I watch these commercials, my takeaway is that the strategists behind Trump's re-election campaign do not care, repeat, do not care about the popular vote. They're, uh, they're very pragmatic. 
they know to get reelected, and I have that word in quotes, they have to have a repeat of 2016 and win the Electoral College. As such, Florida is key. As such, the Cuban vote is key in Florida. They don't care about Puerto Ricans. They don't care about Mexican Americans. Uh, they really don't care about Puerto Ricans. We get into the disti- distinctions between voting groups, and but Puerto Ricans are probably as close to Ben Jarofsky leftists as you're going to get uh, among uh, Latinos. And so they're going for Cubans. You put Che Guevara in a commercial, Joshua, you're going for a Cuban that's going to trigger a response that's a Cuban appeal to Cuban-American voters in the state of Florida. I don't care how you cut it. That's my analysis. Your thoughts. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's there's no question, and I and I don't want to generalize an entire group of people, but there's a reason why a lot of Cubans left the island to come here to the United States. There's there's a there's a fear there, um, and you know I can't put myself in their shoes, but the the Cubans as a voting block in Florida. Florida is just a wacky place. I mean, not just for the Cuban population, just the population as a whole. Anytime I see a weird story, no, I mean, I got family in Florida. You know, I've vacationed in Florida before. You know, nothing against Florida, but if I see a wacky story out there, I'm assuming it's happening. In Florida. <laughs> That's yeah. just the bare minimum. So the the way people vote down there always blows my mind. Um, if I had to generalize the Cuban voting block. I would say definitely there there are some trigger moments there that could have them moving more to the right and voting and voting Republican um, and using revolutionary figures like Che, using uh, political figures like Fidel Castro will certainly give them that give them that push to the right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Now, so uh, by the way, the other thing before I get into the uh, question about voting patterns among uh, different uh, Latino uh, communities. AOC is in there. I don't mm-hmm. know if you noticed that, but they have uh, Alexander Casa Cortez in there, like a, as a radical socialist, like equating her, <laughs> equating her, yeah, and it's to like Castro or whatever. I'm like, how does that resonate in your humble opinion uh, with younger uh, Latinx voters? I mean, I thought she. This is my assumption. She was popular. Maybe I. Maybe Trump knows something I don't know. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think AOC has been this figure for for the Republican Party, uh, for conservatives, just based off of what she represents. She's a young, intelligent uh, leader in the Democratic Party. Uh, she has a large following, especially with young people who will be the future of uh, the present of um, of our voting of our of our voting makeup, millennials. Um, millennials outnumber boomers at this point. Um, so yeah, you I mean she 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 scares people. Um, and I think if people took the took a moment to really listen to what policy that she's been presenting, if we're talking about uh, jobs, Green New Deal is a perfect way to do that. Why invest in all these old technologies when we can invest in new technologies and new jobs? Um, and I think everybody can get behind that, but uh, there's a tendency on on the conservative side to really take what she says and use it as this big trigger to say, 
the government's gonna waste this money and the government's not really looking out for you and and people like aoc want to bring down democracy and bring in communism and it's just all it's just all ridiculousness but for some reason she gets picked plucked out and thrown in these ads um i don't think they're very effective with people in my generation that might be an assumption on my part uh but just based off personal experience i've noticed that younger younger latinx people tend to lean more left whereas older older latinx people tend to lean a bit more right so i i wouldn't be surprised if those ads were geared towards an older audience that maybe relying on facebook news may not know how to fact check an article they see online and are just buying these things as face value um and unfortunately aoc gets gets lumped in with with people that really might not be completely aligned with what what type of policy she's trying to enact in the in this country by the way uh before i lose something you just said sure millennials outnumber boomers is that true it is true yeah damn man i'm having to be nice to you guys now god damn right i'm gonna have to stop making fun of millennials i really like millennials all right uh <laughs> you know I, I gotta gripe i gotta gripe with you too ben because for a that? while when you started your show you always associated things with millennials but you were talking about gen zers and i was like poor ben i need to like, <laughs> have a generational conversation with him there's a difference yeah i know man it's like Ah, I got so much to learn. I don't even know where to start. Life, I'm, life is listening to another episode of yours. Yeah, how you're much I got to learn. Millennial. Um, no, I love millennials yeah, and yeah. Gen Zers. I love you guys so much. All right, let's move on to uh, the various voting blocks. Uh, in your humble opinion, a one-on-one: uh, Cuban Americans, Puerto Ricans, uh, Mexican Americans. Put, put, position them left, center, right, as best you can. Go. Sure. Uh, again, this is tough because uh, I don't want to assume any any ethnic group is a monolith. Uh, I don't want to generalize either. I can only speak from my personal experience, from friends, from stories friends have told me. Um, and I'd say each of those population have progressive and conservative pockets. Puerto Ricans, I've noticed, tend to lean a bit more progressive or a bit more progressive leaning. Um, the conversations I've had with elders in my family and my community, uh, sometimes they end up being more progressive than me. And I, we have these great debates. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's fantastic. It's so nice to, to bounce ideas off of you and learn from each other. Um, but I've also in the Puerto Rican population, you know, talked to elders that think AOC is like the antichrist. So <laughs> it's one of, and she's Boricua too. So you think there'd be an affinity for her there, but there's a fear there. Um, but I would, if I had to, say, if I had to assign a, a label there, I would say in my experience, Puerto Ricans definitely lean more progressive. Um, again, some elders are progressive. Definitely, a lot of people in the diaspora are, pro, are progressive here in the United States because we've seen the toll the United States policy has had on the island. Um, if I had to, if I had to label the Cuban population. There's a lot of context there that we have to be aware of, of what specific populations decided to leave Cuba uh, during the rise of Fidel Castro. Um, we, I would say from my experience, from Cuban friends I have here in Chicago to uh, 
what I've read and people that I, I've heard stories from, especially Cubans in Florida, there's a bit more, they're a bit more right-leaning. Um, they're a bit more fiscally conservative. Um, the Mexican population, I can't really speak fully to. Um, I, would mo- I would mostly say it's probably a 50-50 toss-up, and that might even be a split between generational where elders in the Mexican community may be leaning a bit more conservative, where younger people in the Mexican community may lean a bit more progressive. Um, but they can't really speak too well to, to the Mexican population. Um, so. yeah, my, uh, it's, what you said is, from, and you're absolutely correct to say, no one group is a monolith. Uh, everybody's an individual. One thing that struck me um, is when I watched uh, these commercials, and uh, it was clearly in my, like as I said, uh, it was clearly targeted, in my humble opinion, to uh, older Cuban American voters in Florida. That's that was just my takeaway from it. And then I noticed just on a, this may be uh, able to move into the next conversation. Here in Chicago, there are four Cubans that uh, are starters for the Chicago White Sox. I don't know if you follow the White Sox at all. And are you a Cubs fan? Oh, Ben, that's another episode for another day. All right. But anyway, and they're all kneeling. I was a Cubs fan. The Ricketts just rubbed me the wrong type of way. My wife's a White Sox fan. Uh, So we've been a house divided, but I've I've slowly been migrating to White Sox fandom. Not to say that their owners or MLB owners as a whole are any better from one to the next, but. Okay. Well, I, uh, by the way, also, okay. As everybody who listens to the show knows, I like both teams. I never understood why I was supposed to like one over the other. That's some crazy Chicago stuff, which people in Chicago are weird. Uh, and, uh, I said repeatedly, I'd love to see the both world series teams that Oh five team, the Cubs team that recently won. Like I'd love to see those teams go at it because honestly, I don't know who would win. Uh, no, I don't either. But uh, of those two teams, I'd like the 05. So I love Ozzy Guillen. I, okay, guys, I just, I don't know, controversial. I want him back. I love the guy. I always just, uh, when he, talk, he was like a poet when he would start talking. He would, the F bomb is flying. And I'm like, Spain is a freaking poet. Just keep him yeah. in just for the post game press conferences. But my point is, there's like four Cubans. Um, who are starting for the White Sox, excellent players. And I noticed that they were wearing Black Lives Matter. In other words, the very thing that uh, Trump tries to use to demonize uh, the Black Lives Matter movement to win over uh, Cuban-American voters has not been picked up, just to your mm-hmm. point, by uh, younger Cubans, just at least the ones on the White Sox. So it's yeah. just, just an interesting um, a reality. Well, uh, well, and that's the thing too, Ben. Like th- these voting blocks can shift, and uh, values can values can shift. What we our outlook on our outlook on society can can shift. Certain things can get brought to our attention. Administration can f up, and that opens people's eyes to think to to considering a different way of doing things, a different way of voting. So it's hard to say this specific block is going to vote this way because. We could we could see a shift, a, even a seismic shift, from one month to the next in entire mm-hmm. voting blocks. All right, since I uh, raised the subject, let's take the deep dive. You told me before you were on the show that you're a big sports fan, uh, so let's talk about uh, kneeling for the yeah. national anthem uh, and how it's being played out. 
uh, in the post-George Floyd era. And I, and I say that because everything changed so much uh, since the revelation of the, um, the video showing uh, George Floyd getting murdered. Um, now, uh, athletes are just openly kneeling. It was, mm-hmm. They didn't do it in any sport, as far as I knew, except for football and women's soccer before this. Uh, now, Joshua, baseball players are kneeling, and basketball players across the board are kneeling at the national anthem, I should say. Coaches, trainers. Um, your thoughts on this? Um, yeah, I mean, I think this is one of those things where when kneeling, it's one of those moments in our in our history when something happens, it acts as a flashpoint, and then you have this larger debate where people feel strongly on one end, others feel strongly on the other. I mean, a good example would be Muhammad Ali. He's Cassius Clay before, changes his name, converts to, to Islam. I mean, how much hatred did that man get in his career and then as he progressed over time, was lauded as one of the greatest athletes of all time, but had to really struggle during the, the prime of his career. You look at things like, oh, and even, even opposing things like the Vietnam War, uh, really speaking out on societal issues were not taken kindly to the, in the mainstream. Same thing with kneeling. Like this is something that created a, a divide amongst people. And you kind of, when you brought it up, the, you never really knew where the conversation was going to go. Is it going to be someone in support of it? Is it, is it someone that's going to bring up disrespecting the flag? You know, there's a lot of confusion there. I think what we're seeing, and I feel like the pandemic has really helped in this because people have just been stuck at home. They've been able to pay attention more to what's going on. Uh, our young people who are going into a horrible job market who have really been leading this way with all the uprisings that, the uprisings that have happened, we're seeing this shift based off of people organizing together. And last time I was on your show, I believe it was with um, Adolfo Madragon, we were talking about coalition building and the importance of that. And when you look at all these protests, you're not just seeing black people out there. You're not just seeing brown people out there. You're seeing indigenous people out there. You're seeing white people out there. You're seeing different colors, different shades of people all trying to speak out for social justice for everybody. I think that is what has led to the changing of hearts and the changing of minds and has led to a lot of these companies really, really having to have an introspective moment to say, is this what side of history do we want to be on? How do we want to be remembered by this? And let's not forget places like the NBA, the NFL, the MLB, a lot of these owners aren't, aren't, aren't AOC here. (laughs) <laughs> they're not the you know what I mean? Like they're, they're, they're pretty far from that. Yeah. Um, however, when you look at these, when you look at these leagues, man, those players have a lot of power. And I and I, I know before we went on air, you talked about how you're rooting for for the Clippers, and I was saying how I'm kind of leaning towards the Lakers. Wasn't a big LeBron fan for a long time, but looking back at his history he took a big risk in showing his power as a player to move from the Cleveland Cavaliers to the Miami Heat. And when you look at that NBA Players Association, it's one of the strongest unions um, in sports. Yeah. And they've really been, especially with, again, going back to, I'm kind of trying to tie this all together here, but going back to the pandemic, they have this larger question. NBA is an example. Again, how are we going to get the league back? How are we going to finish out the regular season, get into the, get into the playoffs? 
Well, the players have a lot, like we've seen with the MLB. Players have a lot of say in whether or not they're going to play or not. So I think we're seeing players use their capital to stand up and say, look, we're not going to do this. Um, we're not going to play unless you meet these demands. Yeah. There's a lot of flex. There's a lot more flexibility that I'm seeing now that we've been in, in the pandemic than I, I don't think would have been possible when this all started. But if it wasn't for, for cap kneeling a, a few years back in 2016, I want to say, um, I don't think we'd even be having this com- I don't even think we'd be having this conversation today. So it takes that spark. Um, so I guess all this to say, I think the players have a lot to do with this. I think our young people that are organizing and coalition building have a lot to do with this. Um, and that's what happens. You, you, get the, you get the many together. You take on, you take on the few who are society, who are benefiting the most from the society and you start fighting for the things you want to see for the change you want to see. So we're seeing, we're seeing a lot more flexibility there. And I applaud the NBA for allowing everything from kneeling to even having certain um, lettering. So that's kind of my, that's kind of my take on it. Yes, it's true. Uh, I have picked uh, the Clippers to win. And yes, of the teams that are still in the uh, hunt for the NBA championship, I am probably rooting for the Clippers because I love their coach, uh, Doc Rivers. He's from Proviso East. Uh, But I'm a diehard Bulls fan. Nothing has changed there, right? My beloved Bulls didn't even make it to the bubble. That's how sad they are. They're at home. They were hoping for a loser's bracket. Oh, please. Uh, and But I got to say this about LeBron. You're absolutely correct. I was, I was one of those guys in the city of Chicago in June of 2010, Joshua, just railing against LeBron James. And I was so mad that he didn't come to the Bulls. But mm-hmm. as time has gone on, I have just come to really respect LeBron James on so many levels, uh, how he carries himself with the dignity and just always handles all these questions that are thrown at him, you know, challenging questions about uh, race and politics and the way he stood up to Trump. I got a lot of love for uh, LeBron James, even if he did turn his back on my beloved Chicago Bulls. So. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, uh, the, I, uh, hats off to the NBA players. All right. Now, when I was listening to you talk about the power that the NBA players have, and I'm looking at the front page of today's Sun-Times uh, with the teachers union protesting in front of, uh, I think it's City Hall, maybe it's the Board of Education building. Anyway, either way, uh, I, 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 a contrast popped into my mind. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. Athletes who working within their union, uh, standing up to protect themselves and their interests, in this, in particularly their health interests, and whether they should be exposed to the virus, versus teachers who working within their union uh, rise up to protect their own interests, to look out for their own interests, and the different attitudes and reactions that society has toward one or the other. Uh, do you see any general themes when I just present it that way about the way the attitude society has toward teachers uh, and athletes? Yeah, I mean, the, when we look at when we look at uh, this whole discussion about going back to school, like, okay, with, with tying it to sports, okay, look, I get it. Like, people need to make money. We want to see a championship in the NBA's case. Um, we want to get certain seasons off the ground, like the MLB. I understand the need to want to give people sports. I understand the need to want to generate some income. You look at the you look at the NBA bubble. 
there's a lot of resources being dedicated to that bubble to make sure that those players don't affect don't infect one another. Yeah. That make sure that they're quarantined properly. Not just the players themselves, but the entire staff. Now, if if our Chicago public schools are going to get the same level of resources that the NBA bubble gets, by all means, go back to school, let it ride. You know, that go, why not? Yeah. Because the resources are there. You can't just say let's go back to school and not make sure these schools are well equipped. There was one country, and I, I've, I'm blanking on which country this was. I don't know. It might have been a Scandinavian country, but they were doing things. I think, but I want to say they're pointing to like as a model from from the White House on how we can go back to school. But essentially, the idea was you take an entire classroom and then you would break that up. You'd have a teacher and then maybe ten kids or so. So if one kid got sick, well, all these all these classes are broken up. One kid gets sick, you can quarantine the entire classroom instead of the entire school. Well, that's great. Problem is, we got a shortage of teachers. Problem is, we got a shortage shortage of resources. Problem is, we have overcrowded classrooms, and the list goes on and on and on. So we want to apply this blanket approach to how to go back to school, but there's really no guidance on how to pull that off. So I, I'm not in favor of kids going back to school in person unless unless our Chicago schools are going to get an abundance of resources. And quick plug for defund the police. Maybe we take a bit of that 40 percent chunk of the Chicago city budget, move that over to our schools if we really want those schools to to get back open and have kids in their doors to going through their doors and sitting in those desks come fall. If we can't make that happen, if we can't dedicate the right amount of resources to our teachers, to the support staff, to our students, to our future, then this is not this is not a discussion worth having. We we should just move into remote to being remote, um, and that brings it uh, that brings on an entire new set of problems as well. Especially when you consider who has access to internet and who doesn't. Yeah. Who and what families have the opportunity to sit down with their kids and make sure that they're getting those assignments done to answer those questions that their kids might have. So we have to think holistically about this. And I don't know that we're really taking the care we need to with this back to school discussion, at least not yet from what I've seen. Yeah, no, that's, that's well put. And, and I, and I, I'm, I struggle with this one uh, because personally, I do not believe the city's ready uh, to reopen schools. I just believe it'll be like baseball you know all of a sudden like the marlins shut down i got a feeling like within a couple of weeks this school will have uh an outbreak that school will have an outbreak and we close its schools i just feel like it's just premature at the same time what right. you said is so true every day that uh there's no school the gap between mm-hmm. those with money and those without the learning gap grows it's already enormous to begin with right. and uh well, so and that and what's the purpose too right then like what, what is the purpose here of getting kids back to school is there another way to do this where they don't have to go in person um it, it's just hard i think it's hard given given the the tone out of this administration and their handling of the COVID-19 pandemic, it's hard to believe that they genuinely want schools to open for the purpose of making sure that kids don't fall behind. And it, it and it's easy for me to look at this call to bring kids back to school as a way to just get parents back to working. 
not working remotely, but working back in their offices. So it just, it just, to me, it just smells of a way of using children to really get our corporations back into the swing of things so they can start raking in all that dough and, and, and leaving. And, and there might be the data shows that kids, younger children aren't susceptible to this virus. But if you have a home where like, I grew up with my grandmother living with us, but my grandma's a part of the vulnerable population. I was a little kid and I went during a pandemic and I brought that home. Bye bye abuela. I'm sorry. I hate to say it that way, but it's like, we're not really thinking what the ripple effect of this is. And so what is it? We, we have, we sacrifice the few in order to help the many. That's kind of, that's kind of a weird, that's kind of a weird logic to have. We should try to be, we should be trying to protect the most amount of people from this thing as possible, not put more people at risk. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. And also uh, this is a topic for a later time. Uh, when, when, when people see, uh, the teachers union out there it also turns people against the teachers union and i think there's a lot of that going on there's always that going on all right uh before i let you go i'm gonna put you uh, on the hook here uh i told you i was gonna make you do this uh, you resisted you said no ben no but uh we're gonna make you do it anyway uh so ladies and gentlemen uh joshua is going to make a prediction as to who joe biden selects as his running mate and uh this prediction is being made tuesday August 4th so uh, there's no ducking and dodging uh, a week from now whenever uh, Joey B makes the actual selection uh, people could be bringing home the bacon because they followed Josh's advice and went down to Vegas and put that money down so this is one more time as I explained to you before this is not who you want this is who you're going who you think he'll take who you would go put money down on Vegas because yeah, I know that they're, uh, they're taking money now on this who do you predict Joseph Joe Biden will select as his running mate? Ooh, that's a tough question, Ben. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go on a limb here and make a really bold prediction. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm gonna say uh, the choice Joe Biden makes yeah. will be the wrong one. That's correct. Hello. It would be the wrong one. If I had to, if I was painted into a corner and had to choose, I would say the tea leaves are saying Kamala Harris is probably going to be the top, the top choice. Now that could change, but I would not be surprised. A lot of the stuff I've been reading in political reporting points to her being a favorite based off of a lot of her corporate ties. Um, so we'll see. There's also been reporting that people in the Biden campaign that have been vetting for VP uh, have been kind of politicking against having Kamala Harris based off of that busing, um, that busing yeah. dig she, she took at him during one of the, the first debates. Um, having said that, I think I would be surprised um, if she wasn't a top, a top contender right now. Um, I definitely wouldn't be surprised if he ended up choosing her. Do I think that's the right choice? No, but... I think that's where it's leaning. You probably didn't think Biden was the right choice either uh, for the presidency. Uh, so, all right, I'm going to stun you with this one. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to make some serious money on this, I want you to take my prediction, run, run to Vegas, put this money down right here. D, get ready. Get your money. Okay. Go to Vegas. Joe Biden will select as his running mate. AOC. Yeah, take it to the bank, man. Oh, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm leaving. I think I just hit the doorbell. 
He's looking for that Cuban vote in Florida. Oh, <laughs> nah. <laughs> anyway, I'm just kidding. I don't even think she's old enough to be vice president, AOC. I think uh, she's too young. You know, I don't know what the Constitution says on that. I know there's that 35 limit for presidency, but I don't know if there's anything that says you have to be nature VP. I have Wait. to look that up. You got no excuse. AOC is my favorite congressman, congresswoman right now. So twenty-four, uh, you never know. Will she be thirty-five then? I don't think she'll be thirty-five then. I, I mean, she's so young. We gotta look up her birthday, but who knows? She might be thirty-five as soon as she takes the oath of office. So that, does that count? Uh, I do not. We're gonna get our constitutional scholar, Doctor D, working on this one. Then <laughs> I'm on it. I'm on it. Uh, anyway, no, just kidding, folks. Do not go to Vegas and bet on AOC, okay? Do not go to Vegas. I'm with you on Kamala Harris. That's why. Uh, yeah, you would lose a lot of money. Uh, She's 30 years old right Kamala now. Her birthday's October 13th, 1989. Damn, you're good, D. That's you are Oh, uh, uh, well, she's, yeah, she's, she's too young. Top of your head, huh, Dennis? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm a genius. Oh, my gosh. Also, Ben, I, I heard you call him uh, Joseph Joe Biden, and it made me think, what? what's his middle name? Do you know Joe Biden's middle name? Yes, it's some, oh, God. It's, it's, it's um, a weird it's like one. A French name. I, I yeah. thought it was malarkey. Oh, Joshua Spicer. That was good. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. He's got a million... <laughs> Uh, it's uh, La La Fontaine or something like that. Or, no, no. Uh, what uh, is it? Any any guess, uh, Josh? Besides uh, malarkey. So this idea like, is a bunch of like malarkey. <laughs> so it's an R. Is it like Robin Robin A. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah yes. That's it. Whoa, Robin did you A. Look on the internet, Joshua. Did I you did. look? At it? I totally did. Dude, you're, you're good. You're slick. I tell you what, they always got a trick up their sleeve. Uh, yeah, I was like so impressed that you knew that. And then he looked it up on the internet. No, no, I, I grew it right on my phone for sure. That was good. That was really slick, dude. I didn't even see that. Robin A. Or Robinette. Yeah. I'm not sure. Anyway, that's uh, our next president of the United States. Anyway. All right, Joshua, one more time. Tell folks about your podcast and uh, where they can find it and all that good stuff. Sure thing. So it's called the Paseo Podcast. You can find it wherever podcasts are streamed. It's Paseo, P-A-S-E-O. So if you have Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever, um, you can find you can find my show. Uh, we are celebrating a year, uh, the end of this month in August. So uh, like I said at the top of the show, taking a little break with the uprisings and the pandemic. So our latest episode is from late May, but we're coming back in full force uh, for our one-year anniversary, but you can catch up on all our episodes on paseomedia.org. That's P-A-S-E-O media.org. And then we're on Twitter and Facebook at Baseo Podcast. So if you give us a follow, give us a like, uh, we would really appreciate it. All right, Josh, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much uh, for taking the time. And uh, it was a blast talking to you. Do it again probably next month, all right? Sure thing. Thanks for having me, Ben. See you, Dennis. All right. Peace. All right, everybody, take care. Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone, make sure the kids hear words. Oh, Robinet.